through our study entitled The End Times and the Christian. We know as we have studied and I have repeated over and over again, you know, some people sometimes have said, um, nobody here has said uh, this, I suppose, but occasionally you will hear people say, boy, you preachers repeat things an awful lot, and that's probably true. First of all, there's nothing new under the sun, so the Word of God that we have is established, it is sure. Uh, if you've been in church uh, for any period of your life, you've heard a lot of the things that are written in the Scriptures. Now, I don't believe uh, that I've heard everything in the Bible preached. I don't know that any of us will ever hear everything uh, that is in the Bible preached in our lifetime. But when it comes to certain passages, we hear many of the ones that we are covering here this evening on a regular basis. They're often pulled out and used in different sermons, and also I have repeated uh, many times some of the different background uh, to the book of 1 Thessalonians and the context of it. But you remember again that the church of Thessalonica was a greatly persecuted church. They were one that uh, was so strongly and heavily persecuted that the preacher who brought them the gospel was not able to stay in town. They ran Paul out, and it was hard to run Paul out of a city. But they ran him out, and then they chased him to the next city and ran him out of that city. That's how badly the Jews wanted to rid their area of the teachings of Jesus Christ. So understanding that, it gives so much more depth and breadth to the passages that we read and study. So we come to 1 Thessalonians 5 and we pick it up in verse number 19. This we covered last week. The Bible says, quench not the spirit. Verse number 20, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please anoint this service with your Holy Spirit power. I pray that you'd please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to say only the things that you would have me to say. Lord, you know the, the, the fight and the struggle that I, I am having this evening. And I pray, Lord, that, that even in my weakness, that you would be strong. Lord, I pray that the work that is done tonight would be done only by you, by the power of your Spirit and by the power of your Word. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. Why would a church in this situation, is this too loud? Are we okay? Is it too loud? It's not. It just sounds louder to me than normal. Does it sound about normal? It's a little louder. How about this? Is that loud? Uh, <laughs> a little loud. Huh? Of course, we understand that, that this Scripture is written for us so that we in this day can also profit from it. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that it is profitable for all Christians at all times. We understand that. And so we have the application as we need it, and as all Christians in the future would have needed it, which is why God inspired it to be written in His Word. Now there are many other works that God did that the Bible says, or that Jesus did, that, that the world could not contain the books if every single thing that He done were written down. And so there are many things that aren't written down that Jesus has done and that God has done for His people, and there are many different lessons that He has taught you and me 
through His Spirit and through life and through, uh, through the preaching of God's Word and so on that may not necessarily be written down in this book. But this book is filled with the instruction that God knew that every Christian would need at some point in all of our lives. And so, in this book, as it is inspired and preserved from the day that it was written uh, or spoken and written to the day that we are able to read it, it is profitable for us today as much as it was profitable for them. And God knew that these truths were things that we would also need to hear. And if He tarries His coming, that the generation after us will need to hear. And so these are vital instructions for the Christian as we approach the last days. But it is also apl applicable contextually, if you want to say it that way, or it is applicable to the people in this time frame, maybe in a different way than it would be applicable to us. We might apply it in different ways than they would because of their own personal experiences that they needed these truths for. You go through different times in your life where different truths of the Word of God stand out to you. The Holy Spirit draws them out to us as we have need of them. And sometimes you can go by a passage that you've read or heard preached over and over and over again, and then in that moment of life, in that sermon, at that stage of your life, or in that devotional time in that stage of your life, it stands out to you like you've never seen it before because... God, and His, through His Spirit, is able to apply it to you contextually, in other words, in your stage of life. And so, the same is true here. That we can profit from it in ways that are needful for us, and they profited from it in ways that were needful for them. That is not to say that the Bible is open for interpretation. What I am saying is that every passage of Scripture has what I would say is one interpretation but multiple applications. And there are different times when different truths can be applied in different ways in our life. That does not change what the Scriptures actually mean here. And any preacher that is worth his salt should be concerned with making sure that God's Word is preached within its meaning. But it should still also be said that it can be applied in different ways. And so I believe that the way it applies to our lives is going to be different than the way it would have been applied to the lives of those in Thessalonica. But as you consider what they had experienced, and you read the different phrases that God gave them in these little short snippets that we begin to cover, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, that would have carried a lot of gravity and depth for a group of people that were living in a day and age that they had experienced literal tribulation by the meaning of the word. When they saw people being dragged out of their homes and run out of their cities because of their belief in Jesus Christ, seeing that none render evil for evil to any man is much more, more meaningful than it might be to us in different stages of our life. And then to be told to rejoice evermore, to rejoice at all times when they were under such weight. To be told to pray without ceasing. And we looked at those three passages together. But now I want you to notice, and in everything give thanks, but now I want you to notice in verse number 19, quench not the Spirit is what we covered last week. And we looked at the different operations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I mentioned to you that I personally have kind of condensed down three different ways that the Holy Spirit works 
in us. Now, there are probably more than this, but it helps me to understand the general movements or operations of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First of all, He works by conviction. He convicts us of the sin that we are in. Yes? And we should all make sure that when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our hearts about our sin, that we don't quench that, that we repent, that we respond, and we get right. There was a little uh, alliterated message in there. Repent, respond, and get right. Man, why don't, why don't I think of these things when I'm coming up with my notes? But then, not only does the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin, He convicts, but He also compels he compels us to do those things which we should. If any man know to do good and he doesn't do it, then to him it is sin. I know that was a paraphrase, all right? In case you're wondering if I'm reading from the NIV. And so we must make sure that when God compels us to do the things that we should, like when He calls a young man to preach, he ought to surrender and quench not the Spirit. When He calls somebody to the mission field, they ought to surrender and quench not the Spirit. When He tells us to witness to a lost soul, we ought to surrender and quench not the Spirit. When He tells us to take groceries to somebody who's in need, we ought to surrender and quench not the Spirit. When He tells us to call somebody in the church, maybe that isn't in our peripheral view because we're so focused on our two or three friends, we ought to surrender and quench not the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves and and, and compels us to do the things that we should. We should respond. We, we talked about His conviction. We talked about His compelling. We also talked about His comfort. And how that at times some Christians can even be guilty of quenching the spirit of comfort as He tries to do so. We looked at Jonah's life. And we saw that God tried to comfort him with the gourd and he got focused on the gourd instead of the God that gave him the gourd. We saw how that Elijah spent a certain amount of time in his life where for a little while he was discouraged, maybe even depressed. And God tried to comfort him, but he was hard to comfort. Don't quench the spirit of comfort when the Holy Spirit works. You know, some people are down on... You know, I didn't intend to preach this again, but... Sometimes we get down on ourselves to the extent that God doesn't want us down on ourselves. I deal with people on a regular basis that can't get over their own failures. And God wants you living on the victory side of salvation instead of the side of regret, but they can't get past it. Won't you hear the comfort of the Word of God that He forgives us for all of our unrighteousness and move on? He is faithful and just. He'll cleanse us of all of that stuff. Move on. It's comforting to know that our God forgives us no matter what as long as we confess and forsake. You find mercy. Some people won't allow that to be comforting. They're always dragging themselves through the mud and allowing, and allowing Satan to drag them through the mud. Hear the comforting words of Scripture that you can be forgiven and that your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west and that God wants to use you again. Satan needs you useless and he'll make you useless by talking you down all the time. God needs you useful. And He wants you to be useful by talking you to the point of service. Let Him comfort you. 
Now we see quench not the spirit. Now we see verse number 20, despise not prophesyings. Now, it's clear that these two go together. Because often as the preacher is preaching, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Now the word prophesying here means both applications, preaching or predicting. And I believe that both can be used. Now, first of all, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Brother Andrew, could you help me again? Could you grab my water out of my office, please, sitting on my desk? I am getting a dry throat, and that would be a blessing. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 1, if you would, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Thank you, sir. Don't fall. I'll put this down here so it's not a distraction until I kick it off the platform by accident. Now, this is the same church, yes? Thessalonians, Church of Thessalonica. All right, a later letter. They are still, later letter. They are still struggling with some of these things as somewhat baby Christians, we believe but very strong in the faith for a young Christian. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, God says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, he goes into prophecy here. Are you with me? Now, we begin in that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, speaking about the last days, right? And we end that chapter in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, speaking about the day that Christ returns. All right, so, much of this is Scripture concerning the last days. But the people of Thessalonica had been given certain prophecies concerning these times, and then it seems, by my best understanding of the passage in 2 Thessalonians, that one of the greatest battles they were facing was that they had been deceived to believe that the day of Christ might have already happened. And some of it you can understand, based on the great tribulation they were experiencing, they, for some reason, had possibly been told by somebody somewhere along the line that the day of Christ has already come and you've missed it. And Paul says, now wait a minute. That day shall not come until you see these things. Are you with me? And we're not going to go into all of that this evening. But we may in the future. I don't know. We'll see. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 19. Uh, verse number 20, excuse me. Despise not prophesyings. Now, when you were in the situation that they were, and it seems that some are working not only to run your preachers out of town and to persecute you as Christians, and if you consider the fact that later on in 2 Thessalonians, they seem to be struggling with some of the prophecies that they had been taught. And it makes a little more sense to understand that there may be times when a Christian, because of negative experiences surrounding the things that they had been taught, might start to despise the things that they had been taught are coming in the future. 
If, you've, if you're a church that has been deceived into, into believing later on, and this may have been a little bit preemptive for them, that the day of Christ had already come. And the day of Christ had already passed. Well then, you would have trouble with both sides of this passage. Prophesying and preaching. Now, it's important for us to look at it from this aspect. As we live in these last days, some Christians have a tendency, and I, I have been this way in the past as well, so I'm preaching it myself just as much as I'm preaching to you this evening. As we see the, the, the patterns of the prophecies of the last days playing out before our eyes, some Christians get to the point where they don't want to preach about the last days or hear about the last days because it discourages them. And some Christians live that way. Well, I don't really like talking about the end times. It's a lot of negativity. Okay. And I understand, I understand that way of thinking. I do. I, I have had some of those thoughts at times in the past. If all we ever do is talk about the negative aspects of prophecy, and we talk about the judgment of the Lord and the Antichrist and all of the wicked things that are going to happen in this world, if that's all we ever focus on, it can be a really negative topic. But we forget that the prophecies about the last days are only supposed to remind us about a couple of things. One, they are supposed to remind us about the authority of the Scriptures because we see written in the book that we hold in our laps this evening that there are things that were said by God that are coming to pass right before our very eyes which gives great authority to this book that we hold. And that should be a great encouragement to the Christian. But second of all, all of these things are only a sign of the coming of Christ. We are not supposed to take the things that we are taught and focus on the Antichrist. We are supposed to take the things that we are taught and focus on the Christ, the Savior who is coming for us. Listen, Christian, don't take what you hear and focus on, oh, the one world system and the monetary system and they're going to shut down all the stores and they're going to be head Christians and they're going to do all of this stuff and there are going to be all of these negative things going on. You know what? Unfortunately, those things are going to happen. But the best I understand the Scripture, you're not going to be here for it anyway, so don't worry about it. I just hate hearing about the end times. It's discouraging. Well, if you think you're going to be here for it, that would be discouraging. But you're not going to be. Don't despise the things that you hear about the last days. When the preacher stands up and says, this and this in the Scriptures are coming to pass before our very eyes, don't say, woe is me. Say, yea, the Lord's coming. And say, boy, I'm glad I won't be here for that. You know, I have gained a much greater desire for the last days because I know that my Savior is going to appear. We have to be careful not to, be, not to have fear because of prophesyings. We need to take comfort and have hope when we read them and hear them. Some preachers are today shying away from the teaching and preaching of the last days. And I've heard some say that the reason that they don't want to get people focusing on the last days too much 
is because of the negativity that comes with it. And I believe that with that is just a slight misunderstanding of what they are intended to represent for the Christian. Despise not prophesying. When you read the book of Daniel and you see all of the things of the end times, look forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ. When you read the book of Revelation and you see the wrath of God being poured out, look forward to that day that Christ will rule and reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't allow the prophecies of Scripture to discourage you, Christian. Make sure you understand that we are not looking for the wrath of God because we are not appointed under the wrath of God. Look, if you would please, back at verse number 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Verse number 9 of the same chapter we're in. For God hath not appointed us to what? To wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? And I spent some time on that passage laying out some of the, the prophecies of Revelation and Daniel, showing you and, and proving to you that the wrath of God is the tribulation. And biblically, y'all, I don't see any other way to interpret it. We will not be here for the wrath of God. And so we don't hear these things and despair over them. We hear these things and we know the truth and the promise of them. Now, the Bible says despise not prophesying, and I believe both are applicable in this last day. Not only does it apply to understand that we should not despise the prophecies of the Scripture, but it's important for us to also understand that we should never despise the preaching of the last days. We know these passages, but let's turn to them if we could please. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3 in your Bibles here. Just a couple pages to the right. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. You know what? I read this one last week. So let's skip down to chapter number 4. The Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. That, that, that word preach means to trumpet, to herald. Are you with me? 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Now he's preaching, or speaking obviously to Timothy, a young preacher, and he's teaching him, but this is profitable to all of us, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, did I say that earlier tonight? Preach the Word. It means to trumpet, to herald, to lift up your voice, to cry out. Boy, I really believe that it is okay for a preacher to raise his voice, to stomp his feet, to lift up his hands, and to preach. I love good old-fashioned preaching. I used to love to watch the preachers that would come in and walk the pews as they would get all wound up. I used to love to watch the preachers that would pound their fist and stomp their feet and raise their hands. Billy Sunday, they said, when he would preach the Word, when he would go into places to preach, he wouldn't preach very long, if I understand correctly, but 
Uh, but as he would go in to preach in different places, they say that his notes were written, uh, I can't remember how many inches tall, and that he had them written on page after page after page after page after page because he couldn't stand still when he was preaching. So while he was preaching, as he was passing by the platform, by, by the pulpit, he needed his notes big enough that as he was going by, he could see the next point. Always moving, always lifting up his hands, always raising his voice, thundering out against alcohol, thundering out against sin. And it was when we had thundering preachers in America that weren't afraid to say what God had to say to God's people that we were truly starting to see some real progress in our churches. Now the only progress we see is that, yes, churches are growing in number, but I believe if anything more, they are swelling in number more than they are growing. Just about a, a month or so ago, oh, I guess a few weeks ago, you saw a deer on the side of the road all the time. And what happens when they, when, they, when they sit in the heat? They get bigger. Can I ask you a question? Is that healthy growth? It's swelling. From what? From infection, and parasites, and all kinds of nastiness. Right? Unfortunately, that's what some churches are doing. They're swelling in attendance, but they have unconverted people sitting in their pews with a preacher who will stand up and, I'm getting ahead of myself, uh, tickle their ears. And they may be growing in number, but they're not growing in the Lord. They may be growing in their feelings towards God, but they're not growing spiritually. It's amazing to watch some of these places as people get so emotionally caught up in their worship services, but they're still drunks. They're still addicts. They're still sleeping around with each other. Those places are filling up with sin and lasciviousness. They've got sodomites on their staff running their sound systems and their, their, their kids' programs. They're bringing drag queens into their services. They're bringing glorified rock concerts every single Sunday and playing with people's emotions, and they think because somebody said the name of God in that service that they actually had church. When in reality what they did is they had a pagan worship practice with the name of God inserted every now and then. And those places are swelling up with people, but they are, many of them, unrepentant sinners who are not right with God. And they're not growing in the Lord. They're just getting emotionally filled up every service, and then they go back to their sin. They can't grow because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. Only way they're going to get the Holy Spirit of God is if they get saved. And the only way they're going to get saved is if a preacher stands up and thunders out the truth and calls sin what it is and tells them they need to repent of it and draws them to the point of salvation. Then as they receive the Holy Spirit of God through the salvation of Jesus Christ, then they can begin to grow spiritually. But for the most part, that's not what is happening in a lot of these places. And some Christians are getting enamored with these places that are swelling in attendance and swelling with all kinds of new people, but there isn't a lot of spiritual progress. I'm not saying that our church is sinless. You're getting preached to tonight by a preacher who's a sinner. 
I'm not saying we're sinless. I'm not saying we're better. I'm saying that when you get into a church that preaches the Word of God, something different happens. And if you want to have real spiritual growth in your life, we need preaching. Despise not prophesyings. As we see it here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, he tells Timothy to preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Do you know what the Bible just said? Do you know that two-thirds of the kind of preaching that... Ring's twisted. That the kind of preaching that God told Timothy to do, two-thirds of it is corrective. Reproving and rebuking. Go study it out for yourself. Exhorting is help to be edified and to be encouraged. Preachers have to preach now 90% exhorting and 10% reproving and rebuking because people can't take it anymore. 66% of a preacher's preaching is supposed to be reproving and rebuking. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And in what spirit should that be done? With all long suffering. And how should it be done? With the doctrine of the Word of God. Now we see it here in verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. Fables is what the Holy Spirit of God calls the kind of preaching that's coming out of most of the pulpits today. What is a fable? It's a fictional story that is meant to inspire. Well, sure, you read little fables to your kids when they're, when they're little, right? And how do fables end? They don't end negative. They end with, you know, the princess being rescued, right? The mouse getting the cheese. Yes? The bunny getting thrown into the briar patch, but it's where he wanted to be. These are fables. And what are they? They're happy endings. And what they do is they fill up their churches with happy endings. It's all going to be okay. God loves you so much. You can live however you want. You can be whoever you want. God wants you to prosper and be blessed. I'm, trying to, I'm doing my best, Joel, all right? Or actually, no, I'm sorry. I have to start acting like his wife because she's doing all the preaching now. What's her name? Nobody wants to answer. Gloria! Victoria? Right, see, I didn't know. I, I did, I just can't remember. So I wasn't trying to put anybody on the spot. I really wasn't. See, look, they're listening to her. Victoria. Victoria is doing more preaching than Joel. Who's that other woman? Joyce. Yeah, do I? All right. 
Man, you know, I've listened to Joyce a couple of times. She can, she can be militant. She can. She can preach. Hey. There was an old charismatic preacher who would be on TV every now and then. His name was Rod Parsley. I don't know if that was his real name, but that was his name on TV anyway. Man, Rod Parsley could preach. But his doctrine was off, you know. But, man, that guy could preach. Anyway, Joyce can preach. I don't know. I've never had the patience to listen to her. She's not biblically qualified, not worth my time. They shall turn away their ears from the tr tr truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. Give us things that make us feel good, that have happy endings, not things that bring us to mourning and repentance. Because that's not what we want. We want to live our life and the preacher to tell us that it's okay to do whatever we want to do. So if we want to drink, we want to feel good about it. If we want to have a sodomistic relationship, we want to feel good about it. If we want to be a pedophile, we want to feel good about it. I, you know, when I was younger, they preached on sodomy, and we were disgusted. Now we have to preach on pedophilia because they're trying to get that down. Never would have dreamed such a thing would be happening. They want, to have, they, they want to be a drag queen and a transgender and, and be told that it's okay. Fables. We, we all know this, y'all, but can I say if there is anything that is needed in these last times is that, it, is that God's people never get to a point where you despise preaching. When a Christian gets to the point where we despise preaching, it is almost always a sign of sin buried somewhere in our hearts. And the Bible tells us in John chapter number 3 that men who are living in darkness don't want to come to the light because their deeds will be reproved and be shown that they are evil. There are different ways that people begin to fall out of church. And one of them is not, and should I say maybe the most popular today, is not the fact that people are living in sin and they don't like preaching. It's actually just apathy about the things of God and a greater concern for the things of the world. But, one of the things that we hear regularly today is, I don't want to go to that church. That preacher really gets wound up. Boy, he really preaches. That other guy across town, though, boy... They really make me feel good when I leave there. That's where this generation is. And y'all, as we live in such a wicked and untoward generation, if there is anything I need, I need preaching. And if there is anything our churches need, they need it now more than ever. Man, I can't decide if I want to go here or not. I think I will. 2 Peter chapter 2, if you would please, in your Bibles, and I'll be done very quickly here. 2 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse number 1. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 
who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but essentially what is being said here is that the false teachers that are among you, they sound awful good, but they're not even Christians themselves. Verse number 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be what? Evil spoken of. Do you see that? There will be a time when the way of truth will be evil spoken of, and it will come first and foremost from some of the so-called preachers. Listen, can I just say this? You need to be really careful about listening to some Yahoo whose greatest shtick online is to criticize the old ways and the old preachers and the old truths. Well, we live in different times today and those things just don't really apply the same way today. When you hear that kind of stuff, what you're listening to is somebody who by reason of, uh, 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 or, or, or listening to somebody that the way of truth is being evil spoken of. A lot of times these guys are in it for their own bellies. They're in it for their own profit. Their desire is to make merchandise of you to get more YouTube likes or more Facebook follows. They're not as interested in the truth as they, in their, as they are their own popularity and fame. And they will use the truth to get there. Because we are living in a day where there is a great hunger for the Word of God. Some of, those, some of the most popular shows and, and movies today are, are some of these spiritually based and Christian based films. And I'm not sure that all of it is good, but I'm not sure that it's the worst thing you can watch. I may fall on a different side of that than some uh, online preachers do, but I think there are some things that Christians are watching today, and then we criticize some of these Christian films, and I don't understand the correlation. So it's not okay to do this, but it is okay to do that. All right, that's fine, and I don't need to go into all of that. I guess it's a rabbit trail. But the reality is that some people are just doing everything in their power to increase their popularity, and they are speaking evil of the truth so that you will do whatever they need you to do concerning their online presence. I have to admit, I struggle with all that social media stuff. Some people are good at it, you know, and I tried it for a couple of years, and, you know, we would post pictures and do things like that, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're better than I am. You probably are, but my spirit just can't handle it. I have too much pride stuck in me to be posting pictures of myself all the time. It's just true. There's too much pride stuck in my heart. I, 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 can't, I can't find a way to do it without feeling good about myself. So I'm not so good with his online stuff. I have to stay away from it. It's not good for me. If you can, if you can do it without having pride and arrogance, I am for you. It's just not me. About once a year, we'll post something, you know, and I don't... I don't know. 
Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong necessarily with having a Facebook page or a Twitter page or anything else. What you do with it can be wrong. But anyway, some people are in this more for their own online presence than they are the truth. And by the way, that's not every preacher that's online that has gained a, a following. But it's important for us to understand the way of truth when it's being evil spoken of and to be able to discern that when it's happening. Let's take our Bibles back, if we could please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I think we'll be done. I was thinking of getting into verse number 21, but I think we'll close with verse number 20. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 19. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. We may get into this next week. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Dearly Father, I pray that you would help us as Christians to respond to the preaching.